Turn with me over to Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to uh, continue in our sermon series. Uh, we're doing a sermon series called Be Rich. And uh, we're looking in the book of Ephesians there, and uh, we're in chapter 3. But I think I heard that, that Rob actually finished the book of Ephesians last week there. Oh, okay. That, that's what he had mentioned. That's what I heard through the grapevine, that he had finished it there. Re Reese was really upset about that. But we've been looking at the book of Ephesians here, studying it out, and this is uh, the Apostle Paul. He's writing to the church in Ephesus, which is a city, um, and, and the letter actually probably circulated to a number of different churches there. And throughout the, the letter, there's this theme of, of being rich and the riches and the blessings that we have in Christ. And so we've been studying out the riches that we have for those of us who are in Christ. And so before we go ahead and dig in more into the scriptures, let's pray. God Almighty, you are worthy of our praise. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And God, right now, we want to learn from your word. Father, open our hearts, open our minds. And Father, we pray that your spirit speaks directly to us, Father, so that we can, in many ways, know you, know you greater. But God, fall more in love with you and appreciate what you have done through Christ. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Last weekend, we were out of town, and uh, on Saturday of last weekend, uh, my wife and I, we were able to uh, participate in a murder mystery dinner. Do, you, do A lot of you guys know what murder mysteries are? Some of you might have heard of it. It's kind of like a big game of Clue. Okay, some of you are like, what's Clue? Well, uh... I don't know what to tell you, but uh, it, it's a game where, where you, you, you know, the murder mysteries and went to this dinner. It was really cool, and, and so it was, uh, uh, you, you kind of uh, participate in this. There's actors uh, that, that are, are uh, acting out uh, this scenario, this scene, and so we were in France last week. We weren't really in France, but that's where we were. On Saturday evening there, and, and so we're all getting together, you're supposed to dress the part, and, and it's really fun, it's really cool, we really had a good time, and so there's a murder that takes place, and you don't know what happens, or how it happens a lot of times, and so throughout the evening, you're receiving clues, and you're trying to gather this information, and guess who done it, okay? And so it was really cool, and I have to say, I have to, you know, brag a little bit, but, but, but your boy got the right answer. <laughs> and, uh, you know, actually it wasn't that hard, but, but I did get it. Uh, and uh, it was really cool to, to know the mystery. And uh, it, it's really fun. If you have a chance to, uh, to partake, they even have home version ones, go ahead and try to do that. They got to pay for it, though. So uh, let, let me say that right there. But it was great. And so now we're actually in Ephesians 3, and it's from the Lord here, because the title of the lesson today is The Mystery of Christ. The mystery of Christ. Ephesians chapter 3, let's go ahead and read. Verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, Paul was in prison at this time, and he's writing this letter, and this, calls, this is one of the several letters called, you know, the prison letters. He says, For the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard, about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. 
In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations, as it, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. We'll stop right there. There's a number of things that we can look at and, and really appreciate from this passage. We can look at Paul and his attitude as how he thought, I'm a prisoner for Christ. If I was locked up in prison, I don't know if that's what my mindset would have been. But he says, I'm a prisoner. You see, there's also a sense of pride when he says it. And he says, it's for your glory. We can examine Paul's humility. How He says, I'm the least of all God's people. And if you know the, the Bible a little bit, you know, that probably wasn't very accurate of a statement. Paul was a very impressive and powerful man of God. But his view of himself was that he was the least of all God's people. But we're not going to look at that and talk about that today. We're going to talk about the mystery of Christ. Did you see it was mentioned four times in that passage? And so we got to understand about this mystery. And so I want to give a little definition here of, of mystery. We, we have that up there. Okay, great. And, uh, and so mystery, there's several different things that it can be, uh, several different ways in which it can be uh, 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 defined. But mystery here, which Paul is using it, is more like a puzzling event or a situation. An event or situation that is difficult to fully understand or explain. And so as he uses the word mystery several times, it's not mysterious and kind of, ooh, spooky. And, ooh, what kind of mystery is this? That's not what he's saying here. He's saying it's a mystery because it's a truth of God that was hidden, that was unknown by people for generations and is now being revealed through Christ. And so it was a mystery. And now what is this mystery? Now again, I just went on this murder mystery last weekend. And so the whole point of the murder mystery is to find out who, who, who done it. Who, who's done it? Who, who did the crime? Who, who killed the person there? But this mystery isn't about who done it. It's about what exactly God did in and through Christ. So let's look at it some more. Look at verse 6 here. This mystery, he explains to us, 
is that through the gospel, the Gentiles, who are the Gentiles? Well, Gentiles are non-Jewish people. The Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and shares together in the promise in Christ Jesus. So the mystery is that Jews and Gentiles, and most of us in this room uh, would be considered Gentiles, I think, except for Rob, right? There's a few. Okay, come on, a few up in here. Is that Jews and Gentiles share this inheritance. You see, we have to understand here that God had chose Abraham and he says, I'm going to do something special through you and through your descendants, which became the Israelite nation. I have these great promises. And so Jews and Gentiles understood that these promises were for God's people, his chosen people, the descendants of Abraham. But right now we see the secret of the mystery, the mystery of Christ is that Jews and Gentiles share the inheritance now. They come together as one body and together share in the promises in Christ. Now, again, why is this a mystery? For us, it doesn't seem to be that much of a mystery. We're pretty much 2,000 years removed from this. But this was a mystery because in the Old Testament, before Jesus, there were several scriptures that pointed how God wanted to save the Gentiles. He, he, he loved and he chose the, the Jewish nation, but he loved people and he wanted to save the Gentiles as well. So there's many scriptures about that. And in fact, in Judaism, there was always converts to God's people. So from the time of Moses, and if you look in the first five books of the Bible there, there's instructions about uh, how to treat it and what would happen and the promises and things of that nature for Gentiles who would be converted into the family of God. But it was still separate. In fact, in the first century, in Jerusalem, in the big temple that was there, built by uh, King Herod, there was places of worship. However, the Gentiles, there was a place called the Gentile courts. And so the Jews would be able to worship in one area and a little closer. But on the outer court, those who converted, the Gentiles, had to remain in their area. So you see, they thought, okay, we, we get... This idea that people would be converted, but there's a separation. So even when Jesus came, preached, and it was very clear that he was looking to save all people, it was still a mystery. It still was kept hidden in many ways that salvation was for all, but not just all, but they're to be together. In fact, let's look at this diagram real quickly here. And this is how they understood it. So in Christ, okay, well, we get this. Christ comes, he saves Jews and wow, Gentiles can be saved. This was like radical for the Jewish people in the first century. Gentiles get, okay, we can be saved, but there's still this idea of we're all saved, but we're still in different camps. You guys understanding here? 
And I know Rob hit on this a little bit because it does tie into Ephesians chapter 2 and how Christ then broke the hostility between Jews and Gentiles and between us and the Lord. But see, now through the gospel, and this is what he says, now through the gospel, it changes. Go ahead and switch the slide, Dave. It goes now to this picture. And I don't know if you could read the lettering up there, but it says now in Christ, Jews and Gentiles aren't separate, but they are one. Salvation isn't something for different categories and different groups. No, you guys share this now. You guys make up one body and the church is mentioned as being the body of Christ. And so those promises that were meant for God's people, guess what, everybody? The Gentiles, non-Jewish people, they share in those same promises. Let's look at one. Let's go back over to Genesis chapter 12. Are you guys with me here? Okay, yeah, hopefully I'm not getting too, too deep up in here, all right? Genesis chapter 12. This is uh, what when Paul's referring to some of the promises, this is one of them here. We studied out the life of Abraham. At this point in time, he's called Abram. And we did a sermon series on that uh, right before Ephesians. And let's read here in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. It says, The Lord has said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. See, again, the Jews understood these promises. They understood that it was for them. But now, revealed through the gospel, this promise right here included all those who are in Christ Jesus. So Gentiles, you, your father spiritually is Abraham. And so that promise and that blessing that was given to Abraham and to his descendants applies to you now. There's no separation. We're all sharing this. I guess one way it made me think of is kind of like in in a family. Let's say you had a family and you had some kids by natural birth. And then you decided that you were going to adopt kids. And so now you get to this point where you're going to give them their inheritance. And so some, it might be natural to think, okay, well, the natural born kids, we're going to get a lot more. We were here first. We're naturally born. We, we have to get more. It only makes sense, right, Pops? But then the father says, wait, no, 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 no. You don't understand here. You guys are all my kids. The adopted, they're not, they're not different. The same inheritance that I'm giving to you, this thing's going to be spread out equally. And this is what God did through the gospel. You and I, we're Gentiles except for the few that are like Rob. Sorry, we all get to say. But we come together as one. 
Members of one body, sharers in the promise in Christ. And how does this happen? It's through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. All united in Christ. All becoming equal. Becoming one body under God's roof in God's universal family. Go back over to Ephesians chapter 3 again. We're going to study this thing out and try to understand this and appreciate this and see how it applies to you and me today. Look at verse 6 again here. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and shares together in the promise in Christ Jesus. What's the word that's mentioned three times? Together. Trying to really help us, you and me, understand that we are together with all of God's people. And the Spirit revealed this in Christ to Paul and the other apostles. God's plan was always to save all people. You see, God is a God of inclusion. God is a God of inclusion. His plan has always been to reach and save all who have fallen. To redeem all of mankind. And so, we have to understand here, the Jewish nation, God chose them, not just say, okay, you're my whole little group and that's all I care about. No, he wanted them to be a nation in which Christ would come, in which God's holiness and commands and, and, and would be revealed, but so that the nation can go and reach all other nations. But somewhere along the line, somewhere along the line there, Jewish nation in general got it a little bit twisted and became exclusive. It's all about us. Look down upon everybody else. But see, God has always wanted to reach and include all of mankind. And so when Jesus comes, he goes first to the Jewish nation, but he tells his apostles, hey, you guys got to go into all nations, continuing and revealing God's plan. Look at Matthew 28. Are you guys with me here? Matthew 28, many of us are very familiar with this passage. But to understand God's heart, and Jesus is the revelation of God to us here on earth here. And in Matthew 28, Jesus had died, he resurrected, and now he's about to go back and ascend to heaven. And he gives some final instructions and really some reminders to his followers. In Matthew 28, verse 18, he says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. How many nations? All, All nations. You see, this has been the plan. And so God had been working on this plan and, and slowly revealing this plan over years and years and generations. And Christ comes and he reveals it more and says, hey, this is supposed to go out to all people. And Paul says, God, help me see that not only are they saved, but they're all included. We're all together. We all make one big, happy, spiritual family. And it says Christ 
is the one who accomplished this. Now look at verse 9. Go back to Ephesians chapter 3 here. I got you flipping through your Bibles a little bit. All right, keep you on your toes there. All right, we got to get some exercise with our fingers there, all right? I know some of you don't even look on, 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 the, on the hardcover copy, so you flipping through your fingers on your phone there, okay? So that's good. Still getting some exercise there. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 3, he goes on and he, he starts talking about how God's given them this grace and how he's to preach to the Gentiles. And in verse 9, he says, And to make plain to everyone the administration of this ministry, mystery which for ages past was kept hidden in God. Okay, well, what is he saying there? Well, basically what he's saying is that, hey, this mystery is supposed to go out and be plain to everyone. That God is a God of inclusion. That he's bringing Gentiles and Jews together. This mystery is supposed to be known and plain. It's clear. But let me ask you, today, in 2014, in America is this mystery being revealed? Is that the case today? Is Christianity considered to be inclusive or exclusive? Is Christianity seen as being for all people? Do people view it as Christianity is what brings people together or separates people? Especially in America. When you talk and, and, and the, the projection or even studies that, that, that show what people view Christianity, it's never, hey, you know what, they're all about inclusion. Or we've seen as Bible bashers who hate all kind of people. And in fact, there's so many divisions and fractions within, they're just bumping heads. There's nothing together about it. What happened to the mystery being revealed? I believe because we have gotten away from the word of God and we've gotten away from following Christ. You see, if Jesus is being correctly taught and followed, then the mystery will be known today. You see, God wants to bring all people together in Christ. Highlight in Christ. It's not about God just wants to bring everybody together and, hey, let's just sing Kumbaya. No, he wants to bring people together in Christ. So that means coming to faith in Jesus on Jesus' terms. So we can't swing the pendulum and think, okay, well, we'll just do anything and compromise the word of God. No, no, no. He wants to bring all people together in Christ. So that means on Christ's terms, never compromising the standard of which Jesus preached and taught. Amen? Amen. Now, the church has a major role in this. The mystery is revealed in and through Christ and through the church. Did you guys catch that? Tom referred to it. Let's look at it again. In verse 9 here, I mean verse 10, he says, His intent, God's intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. It says, through the church. So the church is the evidence of God's wisdom and power. You recognize God's 
manifold of wisdom in his church. It says manifold wisdom. That means multifaceted, many colored. His wisdom, his power is seen in the church. The church has a major role in this. You see what God can do when his people actually follow his commands. Reese mentioned it earlier, but we have a diverse group. And I I just, I look here and I see the wisdom of God. Now we're in L.A. and it's, you know, the melting pot, uh, maybe, maybe of the world here, right? So we have everything here. But when you go down the street and you see churches and things like that, they don't, mm, it's, it's not, it, it, there's not a lot of mixing and matching. You know what I'm saying? I went to, uh, growing up, I went to a, 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 a black church. We had four white people in the church. I remember there was two older couples and they would stand out. And everybody else was, was black. And this was in Orange County. Oh, wow. Yeah. When they got black people in Orange County? Yeah, there's some black people in Orange County. They got black churches in Orange County? Yeah, they got black churches in Orange County. This was the biggest one. There's a mega church, actually. But where's the diversity? But I look here and I'm, I'm amazed. And you should be, too. This is the wisdom of God. This is the power of God. Every race represented. Age. Social class. Culture. Different types of interest. I mean, this is amazing. This is God's wisdom, his power. I mean, we... we, It's incredible. I marvel. I say, wow, look what God has done. Look at this. I see, I see God's wisdom and power in, in our church here, and I say, wow, I mean, you can see it. I see white people that clap on beat. I see black people that don't clap on beat. And like country music. That was radical for me. Asian people who love to dance the salsa. Latinos who are actually on time. My wife's a Latina. I want to hit everybody, okay? Don't be throwing stones at me. But what is that? That's the wisdom and power of God. This is awesome. Look at this. This is incredible. Where do you see this? And not just a, a, a relation in, we're just, we, we like the same sport, we like the same team. No, it's we are deep, we are family, we're connected, we serve and we love each other. We're on a mission together to change the world. That's the wisdom and power of God. That's what's supposed to be seen. And what does it say here? Did you guys check this? Did you guys see this? It says, this is supposed to be plain. So who? Made everyone. Well, let's read it again. In verse 10, the manifold wisdom of God should be made to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. 
God's plan is to work to the, through the church. He used and used the church to not only make his statement known to mankind, but to heavenly beings. Heavenly beings recognize God's wisdom through the church on earth. I don't even know what all that means. But I know here the heavenly beings, demonic forces and angels see the wisdom and power of God through us, the church. Angels are in awe. Wow, God, this is what you've been doing for thousands of years. Wow, that's amazing. And they worship him. Demonic forces, they're in awe because they think, wow, we can't stop God. We're trying hard to divide and cause division. But we see God still prevails. The church is a part of God's plan to reveal his wisdom and power to mankind and to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. And all of this is accomplished in Christ. Wow! His coming is pretty special. There's a lot more to this Jesus coming, dying, and resurrecting. And what he established in and through the church. Christ coming. The gospel, the good news, part of God's eternal plan. And a part of that plan was for Christ to establish God's church on earth. That's some long-term planning. Long-term investment. So then, let me ask you, how important is the church God's put a lot of time and effort and planning into creating and establishing and working through the church. So how valued is it to God? Think about this. When you work on something for a long time, how important is it to you? You don't just cast it away and go, oh, I've been working on this for six years. I'm just going to throw it away. You don't do that. It's something you've been working on. It's near and dear to you. It's personal. You take value. You'd be mad if something was messed up or wrong with it. How important then is the church? The question that we have to ask ourselves is, do we value the church? Do we see the importance of God's church? And is the church continually revealing the mystery of Christ? So here's what I think we got to do in response to this. Today, you and I, we the church, we must continue revealing the mystery of Christ. You and I, we play a role in this. You see, God was called. I mean, God called Paul. He says, look, you're going to be the one to reveal this and more. I want to use you. But this message now is for all Christians. The mystery is for all of us to take a role in revealing this to the world and to the heavenly beings. That means we got to teach and demonstrate God's purpose of bringing people together into his family in Christ. We have to preach and be an example of Christ bringing people together. No factions, no divisions in God's church. See, this church thing 
This is pretty big. This is bigger than us. It's part of God's eternal plan. He's been working on this for generations and thousands of years and continues to work. It's bigger than you and me. It's about God. It's about heavenly beings. It's about billions of souls having the opportunity for salvation. We saw a movie late last night. Uh, what, what movie was that, Korean? We were watching it. We weren't really watching it, but what, what, Pearl Harbor. Pearl, Pearl Harbor's in on in the background and watching it. And, and, and the church is similar to, to this idea of war. You know, I don't know if you've seen Pearl Harbor. I'm not going to, you know, spoil it for you. You can probably guess. <laughs> kind of like Titanic, right? But there are some cool, I guess, love stories and twists and turns in there, right? But in a war... When the individuals are fighting, they're not just fighting for themselves. It's not just about them. And they know that. It's bigger than them. They know, hey, this war isn't about just me. It's bigger. This is about countries. This is about the world. And with the church, it's bigger than you and me. It's for the world. It's God's plan. It's salvation. It's billion of souls. So coming on Sunday is not church. Getting dressed up on Sunday morning, singing a couple songs, praying, shaking hands, and then leaving. That is not church. A building is not church. From 10 to 11.30, that is not church. The church is the manifold wisdom of God. The body of Christ. God's household. God's family. It is God revealed. We must continue revealing the mystery of Christ. And secondly, we have to do our best and keep building God's church. That means fighting for unity. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. Reese, you're probably going to preach this. I'm sorry, but i got to steal this verse here real quickly. Ephesians 4, verse 3, it says, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all, who is over all and through all and in all. We have to fight for unity, do our best in building God's church. There can't be division, whether it be in our small groups, whether it be, you know, because of age or or, or ministries. We have to make sure that we demolish any opportunities for division. Attitudes, beef between brothers and sisters. We have to fight for unity. This is God's wisdom being revealed. If there's fighting and bickering and division, what's happening? God's wisdom is not being seen. Got to fight for unity. We need to do our best to ensure God's will prevails. We have to serve the church. We have to serve in the ministry here. We have to build by being fully engaged, serving and helping, being a participant. 
in the fellowship. Volunteering. Hey, hey, what's going on? I'll do that. Coming up with ideas. Hey, 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 maybe we could do this. Maybe this will help us strengthen the congregation. Or maybe it's a way we can reach lost souls even more. Coming up with ideas, volunteering, making sure that we're giving of ourselves, our time, even our money. Hey, we know that the church, God wants to do great things. I want to make sure I'm fully invested and I give to this. Oh, everybody gets quiet on that one. We have to make sure we're serving. We're involved. We're together in this. There's no participants and spectators in God's church. I'm a sports fan. I'm a huge Chicago Bulls fan. Love Michael Jordan and continued riding out with the Bulls. But I can't really say that I'm actually helping build the organization of the Chicago Bulls. I'm a fan. I have some, maybe some Bulls attire. I watch Chicago Bulls games. I cheer for the Chicago Bulls. I maybe even get into sports arguments for the Chicago Bulls. But I'm just a spectator. I'm not really a participant. I'm not in the organization. I'm not helping build it up. You see, in the church, we can't be fans. This is not a Facebook group that we're a fan of. This is something we're fully engaged in. So everyone has a role and everyone is serving, volunteering. When asked, okay, what what do you need me to do? Oh, no, bro, sorry, I can't do that. We're all invested in building God's church so that his manifold wisdom may be known. And so obviously that means we got to be committed to meeting together. We can't build if we're not there, right? We can't build if we're not together with one another. You know, so many people say, "I, I, I don't really believe in organized religion. So you believe in disorganized religion? So many people believe, hey, I, I, I can do this Christian thing with, without a church and with, with just kind of on my own. I'm a lone ranger Christian. And many of our fellowship, we know that that is completely false and we see the scriptures. But that has started to creep into our fellowship some. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't really need to go. Oh, I can. It's just missing once, twice, maybe coming together. Yeah, but I have things I need to do. Oh, it's just, and everything's just, the manifold wisdom of God is not just. This thing is big. So obviously we got to be committed to each other and obviously committed to just being together. Amen? We have to build God's church. That means sharing the gospel, the good news. Again, this mystery is inclusion of people together in Christ. Us advancing the kingdom of God by preaching and sharing and loving the poor and the needy. This is why we do everything. Well, let's get practical here. Let's come up with some action steps for this week. Amen? And so, number one, I would encourage you this week to pray. But to pray about what God is telling you today. Pray about maybe a heart change. Pray for maybe a deep 
a more understanding or a deeper conviction about building God's church and revealing the mystery. And then secondly, I encourage you to talk with someone this week about it. In our fellowship, we have what we call discipleship partners, and that's someone we partner up with to help us grow in in our following of Jesus, in our discipleship. And so to talk to someone this weekend, I give you two topics here, so hopefully you're writing this down here. One, are you helping reveal the mystery of Christ? In your conversation, ask that of each other and answer honestly. And secondly, are you doing your best to build God's church? Again, have an honest, open, humble conversation. And then lastly, make a decision to join God's church. For some of us, maybe we're visiting or we don't consider ourselves to be uh, very religious. Or, and I want to encourage you to, to study the Bible. And understand more, because right now some of this might, might, you might be able to grasp, but it's a little bit off and a little bit weird. Well, I encourage you, study the Bible, because then it will become more clear, and then make a decision to join God's church. Those of us who have been studying the Bible, make a decision to repent and make a decision to get baptized. And for many of us, maybe it's a decision to recommit to God's church. To repent and decide, I'm going to be all in again in revealing this mystery and building up God's church. As I mentioned earlier, I like murder mysteries. But the mystery of the gospel is incomparable. Greater, bigger. And it's the plan and wisdom of God. The mystery of Christ is seen and through Jesus, and God brings together all under and into his family, those who are saved, and brings them together. God's wisdom and power is seen in the church. Let's continue revealing the mystery. Let's do our best in building God's church. Let's close out in Galatians chapter 3. I believe this captures what we've been talking about here today. Galatians 3, verse 26. It says, You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise, the mystery of Christ. Amen.